Hello, it's Paul Scott again with part two of my podcast for the weekend. It's Easter weekend, so I'm talking to you on Saturday the 8th of April. As I say, part two, I'm recording this from Gozo in Malta, the small island just to the north of Malta, rather. And I bought a copy of the Times of Malta this morning, the uh, local newspaper, and it's quite interesting It's English language, as a lot of the things in Malta are. Quite interesting reading um, through it that uh, we're terribly parochial in the UK, I think, especially the media, and they barely report on anything overseas. But you think all our problems are confined to Britain. They're really not. I mean, the main stories in the Times of Malta today is industrial action by nurses, strikes going ahead, which is um, upsetting people. Um, corruption in the government, there's a lot of uh, trouble with corruption here and there's a a prison deputy chief officer is still on the payroll a year after having left the job so it looks like some sort of nepotism there a car dealership has been accused of fraud now there's uh, typically Maltese here with their uh, extreme Catholicism there's a full page spread on what it's like to carry the heaviest Easter uh, one of the heaviest Good Friday statues and a full sp- t- page spread of some burly looking Maltese men next to an enormous statue that they carried through. And then Air Malta is recruiting because they laid off too many staff during the downturn to survive and they now want them back. There's a leader on by the, the newspaper's editors on politics, a crisis of trust. Um It also says there's lots of international news in it, which is good. It says world food prices are down by a fifth, which is good. And they're fed up with e-scooters in Malta as well, and they want to ban them like the Parisians have done. That's probably enough on the Maltese on the Malta. But my point being really that they've got everywhere has got problems at the moment, and they're pretty similar problems everywhere. Okay, my usual stream of consciousness about markets generally. The main indices uh, seem to be improving and recovering quite well. But looking at the uh, all the mid and the smaller caps, it's just not ha- it's not happening, is it? It's not coming across much to the mid caps and not at all to the small caps, which are still mired very near the October lows last year. But I think the key thing is that that presents us with opportunities. There are tremendous buying opportunities. I find very often when markets recover generally, the small caps are often left behind for a while. So you get that magical few weeks or months where you can take your pick of things at really, really uh, good, cheap prices before the small caps start to move and start to catch up. I think we're in that uh, sort of period at the moment. So I'm feeling really very bullish about a lot of the incredibly attractive valuations now on small caps. And... Really, I suppose I was looking for confirmation in a in a in a way when I uh, rang up uh, Richard Crow, Cockney Rebel, renowned investor, very very successful, just with a a, a clear common sense approach to investing. Uh, he focuses mainly on mid caps rather than small caps, I'd say, and consumer facing stocks. Anyway, it was good to speak to him yesterday. I published that on this podcast channel, so have a look at that if you haven't already. It's worth a listen. Lots of interesting stock ideas. And Richard uh, and I are very much of the same view at the moment, that small caps are really cheap at the moment. We see potential for a consumer recovery, mainly because uh, pensions, benefits and minimum minimum wage are all going up about 10% round about now in April. 
So you're going to get, obviously that's compensating people for inflation, but it's a big and sudden surge in millions and millions of households' income. So both Richard and I think, you know what, the consumer and um, leisure activities and so on could could turn out to be better than all the doom-mongers expect. This is just my usual stream of consciousness here. Uh, there's no structure to this. ShareSock uh, caught my eye. Um, they are campaigning hard for modernising of all the rules and regulations to do with shares. I couldn't agree more in terms of did having digital meetings and so on and modernising and automating many things that could move online. We've had online technology now for 25 years and the rules uh, concerning fundraisings and meetings and so on and registration of shares and nominee accounts, all of it is just antiquated. Nothing's changed and it is ridiculous. And I think liquidity is just going to ebb away from the UK markets unless and until we need a big bang too. Uh, concerning the uh, stock market to just let's automate everything let's make it all electronic and instant Um, there's so much reform badly badly needed and uh, Marks and Spencers I saw supporting or pushing ahead with a uh, modernization program with regard to their investor relations so that was good Um, so yeah, outdated laws, London losing out is my uh, is my view. So let's support ShareSock's attempts to get things modernised. And we need to strip out cost. It should be quick, cheap and easy for companies to raise fresh funds instead of these expensive, um, secretive placings whilst there's a false market with the shares cons- being, being still traded. And hundreds of people know there's a placing going on. And if it's at a deep discount, that is a false market. That's one of my real bugbears about the UK markets. We should just suspend the shares, company does a fundraise, all done electronically, do it in three days, bang, 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 done. That's, and then unsuspend the shares and have minimal fees on it so that companies are attracted to London so that they can, you know, raise follow-on money quickly and easily. Get rid of these ridiculous prospectuses. You know, let's just make the whole thing streamlined. I really do implore the authorities authorities to take some action or we'll just see the London market wither away. Now, press reports are saying huge uh, remediation costs of up to £90 billion for commercial buildings, especially retail and offices, apparently, that are going to have to be seriously upgraded in order to pass new environmental laws over the next few years. So I think that could that's such a vast amount of money. I think that could put a real shadow over commercial real estate in the UK. So if you're thinking of investing or do invest in that sector, you'll probably know more about this. But if you don't, then you need to find out about it. Is the banking crisis receding? Answers on a postcard, please. Nobody really knows, do they? Uh, we don't seem to have had any uh, major problems this week. Um, have they nipped, have the authorities nipped things in the bud? I have to say, I think they've done a pretty good job sorting out SVB, Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, Credit Suisse effectively failed and was forced into a merger with UBS. Uh, what was the other one? I can't remember. But anyway, 
everybody seems to be uh, realising that decisive action and fast action is needed to contain these banking problems, which is a point I've been on about here for a long time, six months or whatever since I've been doing these podcasts, that the authorities know what to do now. They didn't know what to do in 2008. So I remain of the view this is not a repeat of 2008. I think they, they, they are catching and preventing contagion so far. But we're probably going to see more aftershocks, aren't we? There are bound to be more um, problems in the system. So I see this banking turmoil as being something that's probably likely to uh, rumble away in the background with the occasional flare-up. These things tend to come in waves. I don't currently see any evidence for wider spread contagion. So, But it's too early to say. Nobody knows. We'll just have to keep an eye on it. But for me personally... Worries about the banking crisis are not stopping me from being fully invested. I'm not interested in cashing out on any of my shares at current valuations, because I think they're, uh, they're, they're far too cheap. I think there are lots of small caps that could double or triple over the next year or two, it, providing, you know, the, uh, providing the macro picture is, re- is not too bad anyway. I think, uh, yeah, it looks like we, we, we're likely to see fairly subdued economies doesn't it that's um inevitable when you hike interest rates from nothing to about four to five percent reading the american websites like cnbc and market watch and so on they seem to be a lot of pundits uh seem to be talking about the possible contagion into commercial real estate that uh, we might have mentioned that last week um problems with commercial real estate organizations refinancing loans as they come due. I've not seen any actual particular evidence that banks are aggressively shrinking balance sheets so far. That's obviously the worry, isn't it? Uh, Certainly in small cap space, you know, uh, companies seem to be, um, from what I've seen, companies seem to be getting their bank facilities renewed. No signs of any particular stress there yet, but obviously they're paying a lot more, aren't they? Companies that do have high borrowings are now paying base rate or Sonia plus a lending margin. Um, Let's keep our eyes peeled for uh, companies saying that their bank facilities are being reduced or on harsher terms. I haven't seen any evidence of that as yet in the small cap space, but I'm vigilant. Right, these are, again, just bits and bobs I picked up from the news wires. Virgin Voyages is seeking new funding. This is the cruise ships thing, a mix of debt and equity. Um, <clears throat> I think one of the other Virgin companies went bust, didn't we? Oh, here we are, Virgin Orbit, the satellites thing, ceasing operations, unfortunately. I think this dis- does bring home the fact that it seems to be harder to secure funding for loss-making and... Um, speculative projects which i think will you know has very considerable read across to small caps i actually sold my oxford um what's it called obd biomedics this week i reviewed only it was only a tiny position uh i sold them because i looked at the funding and it is going to need more funding later this year and i just don't want to be holding anything that needs follow-on funding yeah here we are oxford biodynamics obd I made about a 20% loss on that, but that's fine. It's not the end of the world. O'Day is the biggest shareholder and holds 18% and underpinned the last 
uh, fundraise on it. Directors have been constant buyers. So I'm going to keep an eye on it. And once it's done its next funding, which I think it'll need to do in the autumn, um, I might buy back in. But I don't want to be holding anything right now that needs to raise follow-on funding. You know, you can just sell and buy back, can't you? There's no problem with that. Also, my friend Paul Hill made a really good point, which we didn't get to explore further in our podcast, but he did mention it. He said you can't swing at everything. And I think that's such a good uh, mantra to hold in the back of your mind. There's so much going on in the market with so many different companies. You know, you've got to pick your spots, haven't you? You can't make a profit on everything or get involved in everything. And the more you dilute into areas you don't understand and sectors that you don't understand or companies you don't understand, the less likelihood there is of success. So I'm very much taking that view myself at the moment. I'm being very selective. The market's giving us so many opportunities. We can afford to be choosy, I think. Now, on PE ratios, an issue... Uh, everybody's saying, oh, the PE on this on is very low, the PE on that is very low, which it very often is. But as I mentioned to Cockney Rebel in our chat yesterday... Have we got to get used to permanently lower PEs? Now that interest rates uh, have gone pretty much back to normalised levels far too quickly, as I think I've discussed before, after 14 years of zero interest rates, have we as investors got used to overpaying for things, thinking that a PE of 20 to 30 is quite normal, which it was in the zero interest rate environment, but it certainly wasn't prior to that. I remember prior to 2008, you know, you could buy big U.S. established companies like Apple on a P.E. of 10 or 12. Um, that is a more normal type of valuation for companies, um, thinking back to pre-2008 levels. So, I mean, typical P.E.s were probably, yeah, ten between 10 and 14, I would say, pre-2008. Uh, and same with dividends. Uh, you know, you can get between 4 and 5% from cash. So a 5% dividend yield is nowhere near as attractive now as it was, say, a year ago. So um, why take the risk? Why, if, you know, if you've got downside risk on the shares, but you're, you're in them for a 5% yield, why not just find uh, you know, a zero risk deposit that'll give you 4 or 5% in interest? And then uh, you can sleep more soundly, can't you? So I think all these are all questions that we need to really have a, a think about. And it could be that investors are taking, not really adjusting to this new reality. And then, of course, the question is, what will happen to interest rates? They may not stay at 4 or 5%. They might go back down again. So we don't know, do we? But I think it's all interesting to ponder and to keep at the front of our minds. Cine World, as I mentioned in the other part of this, uh, finally, uh, debt for equity swap, uh, nothing for existing shareholders. This is another reminder that creditors rank ahead of shareholders. So if a company gets into trouble, it's the creditors who are calling the shots. And, you know, if shareholders are not prepared to put in fresh money, the creditors can just squeeze the, the shareholders out completely. So do bear that in mind at all times for um, for highly indebted companies you know you're really at high risk of a zero outcome if you're if you hold equity in highly geared companies if they start uh, trading well and if the creditors uh, you know remember if you breach your bank covenants that's it potentially the uh, the bank can then um, demand that receivers are brought in administrators rather and you know it doesn't happen very often but um, it can do 
And a report I saw in an American publication said that J.P. Morgan uh, is stressing this point, saying there are risk-free alternatives to shares, paying 5% now. This is just to repeat the point. Um, So uh, shares are really looking at quite a big headwind, I think, um, with... um, with with uh, with with alternatives from cash accounts and from fixed interest, I think I mentioned last week. One of my large investor friends is just selling all his small caps and just turning to fixed interest investment as well. So yeah, I think that's a big headwind for equities. So I wouldn't um, be blasé about that. It's a really important point. Not something I really follow, but I see that the oil prices bounce strongly because OPEC are cutting production. That's not helpful for inflation, is it? Um, now, freight rates. Again, I think I mention this every week. This is such a big consideration. Uh, Port Merion um, PMP, a share I hold, when I interviewed the CEO, he said this. You know, they're moving 60, 600 containers a year, and the cost of those containers has dropped from $19,000 each to $3,000 each. Well, you can do the maths. $16,000 drop on 600 containers. That's nearly $10 million saving. This is a company with £100 million revenue. So this is a massive positive for companies that are physically shifting lots of gear uh, around the world in container ships. Uh, That's very, very positive for margins. And I think you could see some of these companies surprising on the upside. So that's a nice positive thought to take into account. Lots of companies, as I say every week, are now saying that cost pressures are beginning to ease, input prices stabilising. The main cost increase now that companies are seeing is, of course, wages. Um, Opportunistic takeover bid at Fulham Shore, FUL, very disappointing. 35% premium but uh, three directors own nearly half of the company and they're calling the shots. And that's very disappointing, I think, for shareholders to have the, the upside whipped away from them. So disappointed in that. I've said here, um, one of my key points is we don't need to be guessing to choose our shares. I think we can afford to be highly selective. There are so many good companies reporting quite reassuring trading updates that we don't have to take... Uh, we don't have to take speculative positions or guess or hope that a company is trading all right. I think we can uh, we can just focus on the companies that are actually reporting positively and own shares that we know the company is trading well. The less guesswork, the better, I think. So I'm being very selective in what I'm buying at the moment. Of course, to buy something, I've got to trim back on something else, which is frustrating. But that's actually quite a good discipline to go through your portfolio and say, why am I still holding this? Is it better than one of the things I'm looking to buy? And people always say, don't they? The main question everyone gets asked is, when do you sell? And I think the key question is, when there's something better you can put the money into. I think that's the the simple answer for me. And I am starting to find one or two things like that. So I did trim back. As I say, I sold my Oxford bio, whatever it is, just to OBD, just purely to raise some cash for something else. And I took a tiny top slice on my biggest holding, BOTB as well. Only 500 shares. But I just wanted to raise a little scrap of money for something else, combined with the other bits of scraps of money that I raised. And that gave me a starter position in something new, um, which was Gear for Music, actually, G4M. Picked up some of those at 79p, only, as I say, only a, not, not a lot of money. 
And I've also opened a new position, I should say, in Eagle Eye, E-Y-E. Again, very small, just dip my toe in the water type of position after listening to the webinar that Tamsin and Tim uh, issued from PI World. Very, very interesting. Two webinars, actually. One about an acquisition that Eagle Eye did and one um, about its its recent results. And <laughs> I had them on my headphones while I was uh, hiking through a beautiful green, lush valley in Gozo. And uh, very, very steep-sided valley, though. And I'd, I'd taken the wrong route. Google Maps had taken me down a ridiculous route with sort of one in three single-track roads. So I was absolutely shattered by the time I got to the top, huffing and puffing and having to stop for frequent breaks. And then I saw some graffiti on the road, and it said, my granny is faster than you. <laughs> and I thought, yes, she probably is. And I sent that to my friends, and one of my friends, my Aussie friend Bryce, retorted, yes, and she's prettier as well. <laughs> uh, all good fun. But there was something quite weird about listening to webinars on UK stock marketed companies whilst trekking through uh, uh, absolutely beautiful, idyllic rural countryside in, in a little dot of an island in the middle of the Mediterranean. There we go. What have we got here? USPMI. Now, PMI figures. Again, I'm not an expert on any of this stuff. I just got a general knowledge on it. Obviously, the purchase purchasing managers index. It's a forward-looking economic indicator. It was widely followed, and the services read came out for the, which is the biggest part of the economy in the US, came out for March. Now that dropped sharply to fifty-one point two. Anything over fifty is still economic expansion, but it was forecast at fifty-four point four. So fifty-one point two is quite a big miss. It's a very big miss. And that's down from 55.1 in February. So certainly looks like the US economy is slowing, which uh, which is what they want. That's why they've put interest rates up in order to induce a slowing of what seemed to be an overheated economy. Uh, so there we are. Now, a really interesting podcast I listened to on my travels, on my hikes in Gozo, was from, I think it was Ken Wooten. Uh, I forget which channel it was on, maybe CityWire podcast, I'm not sure. There are quite a lot of them. Vox Markets do very good interviews with fund managers as well. Now, he's saying um, that private equity are paying over double the ratings of stock market shares. Uh, Now, whether that will continue to be the case, I think, is the big question. So I was left thinking to myself, well, is that just because private equity has been overpaying? Or his... his, um, position is that the the stock market is undervaluing lots of good structural growth companies. I think he's got a point, actually, and he gave an example of a company called Medica, which is this thing, I can't remember what the ticker is, this is the thing that does uh, radiology, I think, remotely, and um, it's a really impressive company, actually, here we are, MGP is the ticker, and I got home and um, back to the Gozo penthouse and had a look at it. It looks very good, I think. Forward PE of 14.5, 2% yield. Net asset value is 22 times, so there's not really any asset value there. Um, <clears throat> 0.8 million net cash, and it's acquisitive. Balance sheet small, but okay. So overall, I think medical looks quite interesting. 190 million market cap, £1.55 per share. So there you are. I've concluded looks quite good. So there's a nice share idea for you from Ken Wooten, who sounds like he knows what he's doing. Um, a very interesting podcast. 
Market Watch flags up an inverted bond yield, which is a signal of a deep recession. Doesn't sound too too good, does it? And Morgan Stanley are flagging that commercial real estate could drop 40%, similar to what it did in 2008. Um, Now, I did. That prompted me to have a look at some listed UK property shares, Hammerson, British Land and Capital and Regional. I all had a look at. Now, they're all trading at about a 45% discount to net tangible asset value. So you could argue that the current share prices have already factored in um, a drop of about 40%. Although, actually, that's not right, is it? Because I've not taken into account the gearing effect. I mean, as we saw with Intu, I-N-T-U, the big shopping centre owner that went bust, um, because of the because of the, of the bank borrowings, you know, if the... If the if the properties drop by say fifty percent, then it doesn't drop the share price by fifty percent. It wipes out the share price altogether because of the gearing. The bank bank borrowings remain fixed. So we've got to be a bit careful with those. I think so. You really need to know what you're doing. I think if you're investing in commercial real estate. Now it also made me think about REITs, the tax structure where they have to pay out. I think ninety percent of earnings as divvies. Now the trouble with that is that if these commercial real estates, what come these REITs, if they want to strengthen their balance sheet because they're worried about um, about the macro position and declining capital values, they should really be able to stop paying dividends, shouldn't they, to protect their balance sheet? So I'm wondering, is the REIT structure flawed in that it might be preventing companies from? Uh, uh, building up their balance sheet strength. I don't know. Uh, if anyone knows more about REITs than me, maybe leave a comment on that. I do, but I, I think I heard from one company that they can pay out dividends in shares instead of cash, which would be quite a good way to conserve cash, wouldn't it, if that's right? Oh, speedy hire. Now, just again, we touched on that in the other podcast. They did indicate some recent softening in recent weeks. So, yeah, I mean... It does, and we've had the previous week. We had those two cybersecurity companies, didn't we? NCC and Shearwater, saying it was getting tougher, putting out profit warnings that clients are reluctant to sign deals. So, definite signs of some macro softening coming through in some sectors, um, which is a bit ominous, I think. Okay, so just to wrap it up, then, what are the main themes at the moment? To summarise, uh, obviously inflation we know is high, but is about to fall substantially, according to pretty much everyone. You know, and you can see the reasons for that because um, the food and energy costs are, are, have dropped so much that we're looping the big twelve-month um, increases, and those are actually now going to be pulling inflation down, based on what we know at the moment. So it's not just a hope that inflation will come down; it's pretty much a certainty. Unless, you know, a black swan event causes everything to, to, to completely change again, which you can never rule out, can you? Um, base rates, theme number two, base rates probably at or near the peak now and may even come down next, uh, well, come down in future, we don't know. Uh, all these are widely known factors, aren't they? Recession risk is the, my third theme. At least in some sectors, that is looking a lot more real than we thought it was. So I'm worried about that. And pricing power, we now know which companies have got pricing power. So if you think inflation is going to be sticky, 
And there does seem to be evidence from the data that inflation is shifting now to services rather than physical products. Um, so inflation could be sticky. If you think inflation is going to be stickier than we think, we know which companies have demonstrated over the last year that they've got the pricing power. So that is very useful information. We also know which companies sailed through the pandemic better than others. So we've got a lot of information for hard facts and data over the last three years about the resilience of individual companies. So we need to make sure we use that data in picking our spots. Good. I think that's covered everything. Sorry it's all a bit unstructured and rambling, but... Um, I'll carry on just jotting down any interesting news and views uh, each week and just regurgitating them for you at the weekend. So overall, to wrap it all up, my position is I'm really excited about some of the fantastic, really attractively low valuations on UK small caps. Some Selectively, as always, for decent companies, I think... Um, you know, if you pick your spots and uh, go for things that have put out good, positive, recent trading updates, uh, at least in line or beating expectations, there are, there are various sectors and niches that are doing that are that always do well regardless of the uh, overall economic position. So I think it's all about picking the right spots, isn't it? And we're inevitably going to be hit by a few profit warnings. You know, you just can't avoid it. It's not always obvious. Which, which sectors are going to suffer. But certainly so far, it looks to me like B2B type uh, companies, maybe other problem areas. We saw that with particularly software companies that are reliant on winning, closing big deals. Quite a few of them now are coming out and saying, you know, there's delays. Customers are reluctant to to make big purchasing decisions in tech so I think that's an area to be careful about. And, you know, you can always sell these things and buy them back. That's what, what I always say, isn't it? You don't have to hold things. And if you're worried about it, I, I think personally, you know, I don't always do this myself. In fact, I rarely do it, but we should probably just sell them or sell half. You know, that's the other thing, isn't it? It's not a binary decision. Uh, and then consumer, I think, could surprise on the upside just because you've got these big pay rises for large numbers of households happening round about now. Uh, and some of the pubs uh, groups are um, putting out, you know, surprisingly out upbeat, out upbeat outlooks, particularly the ones serving the younger crowd. I think Nightcap was uh, put up, I was quite surprised at their positive outlook last week. I'm hoping uh, XP Factory and Revolution Bars, both of which I hold, they're my second and third largest holdings um, in particular, I think are very cheap. I hope I've got that right, but I am worried about Revolution Bars because of the gearing. So if you can get through without having to tap shareholders again, I think that could be a two or three bagger, but probably too risky for most people. Uh, uh, so look, we'll see. Those are my current themes Slowing economy, got to be a bit careful about what sectors we're in, haven't we? And some sort of slowdown in housing and building construction looks looks fairly inevitable now as well, I would say. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be tricky for a while, but that's why things are dirt cheap. It's, it's people who've got the balls to buy and hold at times like this, when valuations are on the floor, sentiment is absolutely bombed out. These are the... These are the buys and the holds that go on very often to deliver the best uh, results in the medium term, I've found, generally. 
Okay, so yeah, not a time to be panicking or selling, I think, depending on what you hold. It's obviously entirely up to you. I'm not giving advice. I'm just putting my own thoughts uh, onto the podcast. I'm not I'm not selling anything. I've I've had a mini rejig of my portfolio recently. Um and I'm I'm happy with everything. Some are higher risk than others, but uh you know, I accept risk and we'll see what happens. So, good luck to everyone and thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.